Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning. If you'll get a Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, if you would. And thanks for staying for church. After You might have read the bulletin front and think, love your enemies, I'm out. I'm, I'm not coming back. Uh, I'm excited about today. I Full disclosure, it's not an easy one, but um, it, it's, uh, I was talking to somebody two weeks ago. I want to thank JR and Taylor for filling in last week and helping with the sermon. The children's sermon last week did a great job. But I was talking to somebody last week about how practical and helpful this is, but how hard it is, and um, it is. But, and then I, I said, sometimes when I talk about forgiveness and these kind of things, I, I was like, whose crazy idea was to do this series? And I was like, that's my fault. I'm the one who's doing it. Um, sometimes it'd be easier to maybe preach on tithing than preach on forgiveness or preach on loving our enemies. Uh, but today, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Um, we've looked at, at some difficult things. Next week, we'll finish it up. Uh, we've talked about conflict. We've talked about our words. We've talked about forgiveness. And today, very complicated. Uh, what's more complicated than loving our enemies, uh, those who persecute us? And um, it's a difficult thing um, when we look at this. Um, I, I put in my notes here because it's, it's, it's as if Jesus was me wanting to tell Jesus, what well, I don't even like them. And Jesus saying, that's good. I'm not asking you to like them. Nobody's asking you to like people. You need to love them. And it just seems like Jesus always takes it a step further. Now, the question I want to ask you before we stand and read our text is this. And we got to answer it because it'll help us. And I've said it, I think, two weeks ago. Do you think, do you truly believe, do you think that Jesus has full expectation for you to do what he says? Today's text is on the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of a, the greatest sermon ever that ever was. But I need you to, to kind of let that marinate a little bit because what's tempting on this, I don't care if you're preparing the sermon or if you're preaching it or if you're hearing it, it is very tempting to think, that he doesn't really want us to do that. I mean, forgive, yeah, that's great. Love our enemies, that's great. It's Jesus' teachings. But do you truly, truly, truly believe in your heart that what he says and what he's asking, he's truly expecting us to do it? That's the part. I just want you to let that marinate for a minute. If you would, please stand. We'll read our text. Um, but as we do, let me share this last quote with you. And this is from G.K. Chesterton. Check this out. The reason it's so difficult is this, is because the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they're the same people. Small town church, small town America, when this is why this is relevant, this is why it makes sense, this is why in, in, in our church, in our community, or communities like ours in small town, it's hard because in, in small town America, our enemies and sometimes our, our neighbors, they're the same people. They may be here today, Okay? And it's okay, but we're going to press into this, and we're not going to shy away from it. So let's read the text, Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48, a very short text, but there's a lot in here. Right after Jesus talked about, we don't do eye for an eye, he does this in verse 43. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father or sons and daughters of your father in heaven he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good or the just and the unjust and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous if you love only those who love you what reward will you get are not even the tax collectors doing that and if you only greet only your brothers what are you doing more than they do not even pagans or unbelievers do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray together. 
Take a deep breath, relax for just a minute. Um, and I mean it when I say this, as we go through a short text, and there's a lot there, um, I, 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 I want all of us, myself at the very, very, very top of the list, if your desire is to be changed and put yourself in this place where God can change you, and not shy away from this, but to step into this, tell him that right now. Ask him, say, God, just change me today. This is hard. I don't really want to listen, maybe. I want to push this out, um, but change me. Help me to press in. Help me to listen. Help my heart to be receptive. If that's your desire, you ask him. Father, you've heard your people. We thank you for the words that you've spoken. We thank you for the difficulty that it is. Uh, I pray that we press in. I pray that our hearts are open. I pray that our hearts will be changed. And I pray that you would do something great today. Because as the, as the, the quote says, so often our neighbors are often can be our enemies sometimes. And I pray that we could take, not just take the truth from this, but to be obedient. What you're calling us to do, that you would change it. We ask that you do it by your spirit today because I can't do it. We can't change ourselves only in response to your spirit moving in us. So help that happen today. Help us to respond. We ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Rhetorically, some things to think. Why, why is this so hard? What makes this so stinking complicated? And yet again, why does Jesus seem to literally hammer so hard on these things to bring such clarity for things like this so that we cannot and should not misinterpret it. There's nothing to misinterpret today. There's no you know, loophole to go around. Well, actually, what I think you meant was this. I, I just kept processing this, and the answer is very simple. I'm not a very smart person, but the very simple answer is this because it's important. And the answer is very simple because he has expectation for his followers, people that say that I'm one of your followers to do this. There is no expectation for anybody who doesn't know Jesus to do anything here today. So if you don't know Christ, then you're off the hook, per se, for this, but not when it comes to eternal things. So if you know Christ, I want us to step into this. The expectation for those that bear his name. I like how Pastor Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, in my opinion, he's speaking of this in the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words recorded in Matthew 5, 38-48 are the most unusual he ever uttered. Excuse me. The strange-sounding advice not only cuts across, cuts across the grain against our human nature, but it also represents an antithesis of the advice most Americans are given. Nevertheless, his words are wise and his way is right. Let me say that again. His words are wise and his way is right. If we will only give them a chance, we will discover how true and, yes, once again, how simple his advice really is. Nothing simple about loving our enemies. But what Swindoll says is right. Everything that what Jesus said, it's going to cut directly across what you might have been told, what we do, what we might live, maybe what we tell our kids. There's a reason why nobody wants to love other people that are against us or those that persecute us, those that are mean to us. It's not in our nature. It's not in what we want to do. There is nothing physical that is, that is going to naturally take us that direction. It is a spiritual thing that only God can do. 
And it cuts across all of that. So my, my request today, before we get into verse 43, is what Swindoll says. Let's give Jesus' word, his word the chance. Excuse me. And let's see what happens. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 43. He's going to start off really, really quickly, really honestly. Pictures Jesus going through several things. He's doing the greatest sermon ever was on the side of a mountain, uh, on the hillside. He just got through talking. Hey, we don't do eye for an eye anymore. Hey, you've heard of this about, hey, take revenge. And he says, but I'm telling you something different. He's covered all of these things. He says, I've told you this, I've told you this. And if you notice how it starts in verse 43, he says, you've heard it said that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this has gone on several times when he says, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. In verses 21, 27, 33, 38, 43, I wrote those down. I don't have them by memory. He deals with anger. He deals with lust. He deals with divorce. He deals with taking oaths. He deals with retaliation. He's saying all of these things. He said, hey, guys, I know, I know this is what you've been told, but I'm telling you something different. I'm asking you to do something different. Let me rephrase. I'm commanding you to do something different. There's no wiggle room here. And he does it over and over. And you can go back and read this scripture if you want to, but Jesus is not correcting. What's interesting, he's not correcting the Old Testament. He's not correcting anything like that. What he's correcting is their misinterpretation of it. Because if you look at this, okay, yes, our enemies, it refers to persecutors, not a casual disliking. Our neighbors in the context are not just proximity of those who live next to us, but those of same faith heritage, those in our, the, 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 who we are around and those things. But did the Old Testament law, did the Jewish scriptures, did the Torah, did any of that say, hey, just love your neighbor, hate your enemies, but love your neighbor? Of course not. So, so why does Jesus have this incessant, repetitive thing of trying to correct him? Hey, you've been told this, but that ain't right. See, the, the Torah required a man to love strangers. In Leviticus 19, he says you love your neighbor, treat strangers, even people you don't know. You, you love them as you love yourself. The Torah actually required people to show kindness to enemies, to assist them. Exodus 23 and, and Deuteronomy 23. Even in the Proverbs, Later on, it says that don't rejoice when your enemy falls, but let your heart, or, or let your heart be glad when your enemy stumbles. There's nothing in us that's supposed to do those things. So what is Jesus doing? What's the point? Why the need to correct this? What he's correcting is the Pharisees' misinterpretation of teaching the way they want to live. of formulating in their own mind a theology off of how they actually really want to live. Now, we wouldn't do that today, right? I'm being a little facetious, but before we say, Pastor, I would not, nobody, we don't, nobody would do that. Let me, I, gave you, I have a couple of, of examples here because people that, that follow Christ, but if we're not careful, we can create a theology of what we believe about God or how we're supposed to practice and justify things that go completely against what God has called us. How about, have you ever heard this one? I don't have to come to church on Sundays. It's the people, right? We can gather, I, I can have church, I, I can be in church out on the tractor. I can have church out there, uh, you, know, out, you know, out in the barn. I can have church out on the road. I can do this. Grant, yes, the, the, it's a building, but sometimes I've, I've literally had people tell me they justify lack of corporate worship as God has called us 
And they created that theology so that they could practice it not just by having a worship. Simple. If you don't want to live a certain way, just create a theology that helps you practice the way you want to live. I don't want to forgive. You don't have to do anything. I talked about that last week, about the bad advice of saying, what wrongs you? You should do nothing until they come to you. What about comfort zones? You ever had somebody talk to you about, well, you know what? God's not going to call me outside of what I'm really, really? <laughs> I've never found anywhere in Scripture that says, God is going to call you to stay right where you're at and just be comfortable. No. Over and over, it's stepping out of, of going, sending, doing all these things. But I know that there are people that, that celebrate and practice the theology of, no, right here, home base. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do right here. I'm not going on missions. I'm not going to go ask for forgiveness. I'm not going to step out. I'm not inviting people. I'm not going to do anything that's outside my comfort zone because what I've done is I've created a theology that says, I don't have to do that. Let's go further to a deeper end. This is a bigger issue. That's the one that probably most, you know, like whatever you want to call it. But marriage isn't male and female. I mean, it's not, it's not sin. Homosexuality is not a sin. You see how fast and how quickly this can spiral into something of God wants me to be happy. Now, I say that, as I could go on and on, but it's just, it's just this, how easy it is twist and turn and manipulate into a theology that justifies how you're living so that you don't have to step out and do what God has called you to do. Same with hating, or excuse me, loving our, our enemies. The list can go on and on, but so what Jesus is doing is he is correcting the Pharisees' misinterpretation of teaching this. This is why Church, I know you know this, but biblical truth matters. This is why authority matters. If we don't stand in a biblical worldview of filtering everything through this, then we're just going to be walking around here and say, well, here's what I want to live. Let me just justify how I want to live. See, the Pharisees interpreted this that you were justified in hating your enemies. That if they wronged you, you were right to hate them. They would stand fast on Leviticus 19. I think I have this on the screen for you where it says, now catch this, this is kind of subtle, but it's important. Don't seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people. I'll come back to that. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But love your neighbors. Look back up there at the end of the, the right before that comma. Don't hold a grudge against anyone among, quote, your people. What they did is they pulled that out and said, these are my people. <laughs> you don't have to do it. Your people, your, your circle, your people. Those outside of it, those out here, you are, hate, those, hate them. It's okay. Would we do that in our world today of, of having a group of our people, those people, those people, and say, no, I'm, I'm right here. And so what, I, I spent a couple of minutes just doing this little circle thing of, that's what the, the, the Pharisees were doing. It's like, hey, no, love your people, your neighbor, your, those people that are close. Those other hate, no, we can hate them. But aren't we tempted to do the same thing as just surround ourselves with our people and love those who love us back? And just like I told those beautiful kids up here, you know, it's easy to be kind to those who are kind to us. But Jesus comes in and blows this whole thing up. You've, you've been taught by these Pharisees. Now catch this. There's a reason why it's tense because we don't, it's easy to dismiss this and not want to hear it. You've been told this. You've been taught this. These religious leaders have been telling you this. But I'm telling you something different. So again, the question that I asked you earlier, I wonder what these guys on the mountainside were thinking the same thing. 
That's not what I've been taught, Jesus. That's not what I've been told. That's not what those in authority have been teaching over me. Does Jesus call us to live a certain way? And again, does he expect you to do it? You see, loving our enemies is pretty deep. Luke recorded it in Luke 6. Don't turn there. It'll be on the screen. It says, but you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. And he goes further. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I wish you could have seen those, the kids' eyes up here. when I heard, I heard a couple of chuckles when I said, nobody ever says I want to pray for those who are mean to me. It's like the light comes on and there's not even a, a thought. And if I'm on I'm the same way. There's not even a thought of like, it's, it's not a natural instinct to do that. To do good and to love and to pray. But here it comes again. Can I, I'm just, just going to kind of be very honest with you this morning. It comes very, here, here's what my heart goes to. Well, Pat, the best thing I can love somebody is just not be around them. <laughs> I'm going to be laying hands on them. I ain't talking about praying for them. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Like, just kidding. Sorry. I'm loving them. Best thing I could do is not even be around them. I'm going to surround myself with my people, those people, I love these. That's what my heart is drawn to. I'm just going to tell you that's what I do. But Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, pray for them. He's talking about a love that's the same, ironically, the same love that we've experienced, the agape, unconditional love. Not just to, not just to resist retaliation or ill will or try to be kind. He's talking about, please catch this, He's talking about positively and purposely seeking the good of those who persecute you or those that hate you. Like, really? (laughs) Isn't it enough if I just avoid them? Jesus, you want me on this mountainside clarifying the Pharisees' teaching, pastor standing up here today telling us you fully expect us to purposely and intently pray for and seek the good of those, not that don't are mean, that, that, that mistreat us, that are enemies to us. The question again, is he really want us to do that? Isn't there a loophole, like, get around it? There's not. To positively seek the good and to pray for those that I would deem as enemies. For the people that have hurt me, for the people that I, I put in here don't like, but the truth is people that I physically hate, people that I want to avoid, people that I'll wait till they leave the store before I go in, people that I want to think, man, I hope they're not at church, people that I hope they're here, I hope I don't see them here, I don't want to do this, I just, people maybe have truly done something, I'm not negating that, that have literally done something that have wounded or hurt you. And this is where sometimes the wheels come off if I'm on a sermon like this where if I'm in your shoes where you hear this and you check out, it's done. Because you're not going to want to do it and you're going to sit there and listen like, Pastor, let's go. I, I, I'm not going to do that. I ask that you stay with me just for a minute. We're, 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 there's a lot here. But this is the kind of stuff that Paul had in mind when he quoted Proverbs 25 in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, when he said, if your enemy is, is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you keep burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil 
excuse me, not be overcome by evil, sorry, but overcome evil with good. That's what Paul is saying. Loving our enemies means it, it means practical acts, helping in the ordinary things. Now I could go all day trying to give you examples of that, but I it, 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 I think those are things that the Spirit of God can bring us. But according to Jesus, this is what the children of God do. It's a fruit. It's an evidence. It's something that sets Christians aside that makes them different. Verse 45, that's what he's getting at. He says, hey, in that way, or by doing this, doing the things that I've called you to do, look what he says. He says, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight both to evil and and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We'll talk about that in just a second. 45 means by doing this, what you're doing is you're proving and showing fruit or evidence. That's a Christ follower. Remember I told you, people that don't know Jesus, you're off the hook for all of this. You're off the hook for eternity, but you're off the hook for this. There's nothing calling you to love your enemies. No, nobody's asking you to do that. But if you give yourself the name of Jesus, this is what it's called to do. He says to pray for them, do good for them. Charles Spurgeon put this, he said, prayer is the forerunner of mercy. That's a fancy way to basically put it, of when we stay prayed up and we pray for people, I'll talk about this in a second, it may not necessarily be the people that we're praying for that changes, it may be a change of our heart towards mercy towards the individual. Let me say that again. When we pray for people, it may not be, and and praying doesn't mean, God, if you love me, strike them down with almighty force of lightning. If somebody, if somebody just like, that's all you heard the sermon, that's, I'm going to get emails, okay? No, we'll talk about that in just a minute, specifically what that means. But prayer as a forerunner for mercy means our hearts begin to change in the way that we deal with those people. You could make the argument that praying for people is less about them and more about you. It's more about getting our heart in the right place. Not for what they are, not for what they are, but for who they are. They are human beings, just like you and I. By the way, you may be somebody's enemy, by the way. They are human beings created in the image of God, sinners in need of grace and mercy, just like you and just like me. But let me say this. I don't care what it is in life. We are let me clarify. I am, I am a master at downplaying my role in conflict and things like that. You ever done that where you think what you bring to the conflict, you kind of de- like you minimize your role. Everybody else is like, man, look at all that they did. But we don't talk about what I said, what I did. We, min- we minimize that. I'm a, I'm, I, I, I'm a master at that sometimes where, where I step into this and I forget, yeah, I was a jerk too. I, what I said or what I did. Talks about praying and doing good. And we get into, I'll come back to it, but he gets into the end of verse, uh, excuse me, end of verse 45 about sunlight, both good and evil, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Sometimes that's been pulled and abused to talk about natural disasters and the righteous, whatever. It's not what it's saying. Basically, we don't, get, we don't have the right to declare lines. We don't get the right to divide people. We don't get the right to say, those are bad people, these are good people. Righteous, unrighteous. You know what Jesus says? Hey, God sends the rain on everybody. 
We, he sends the sunshine on everybody. He's going to take care of those that are righteous and the unrighteous. He is loving and kind to all. The unconditional agape love for a person no matter what. And Jesus in verse 46 says, If we only love those who love you, if we're only kind to those who love us back, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors, which was the worst in their society, even those people, like the worst of their society, the most unethical people, the worst people, even those guys could do that. 47, if you're only kind to your friends, to your people, if you're only kind to the people that the, the Pharisees said, your circle, your people, these are the people I'm nice to. Everybody else, you're dead to me. The best thing I can do for you is to not grab you with my bare hands. <laughs> if you're only kind to, to your friends, how are you different than anybody else? Look what he says. Even pagans, non-believers, people want nothing to do with Jesus, can, they can do that. Friends, loving your enemies, praying for them, this is Holy Spirit stuff. Again, there is no expectation for you to do this if you don't know Jesus. Because your heart is, is, is far from Him, cold to Him, and not alive to those things. This is Holy Spirit stuff. Now, there are times, yes, there are times when we set space and boundaries and, and limit opportunities for the devil to get in there and, and increase those things. But when our heart is inclined to villainize people, it's when we stop and say it, my heart is going to a place it doesn't need to be. And over and over, I don't care if it's forgiveness, all these things, it's where, where God is in the constant state of working on our hearts. And if I'm, if I'm really honest with you, or blunt with you, if we talk this out, it's when you get this feeling like, I, I don't want to do that, I, I just can't, sorry, I can't. I'm, there, there are people that have crossed the line. I want you to remember something, kind of like Forgiveness. When it comes to your, quote, enemies, let me say this very clearly. In your sin, you were or maybe still are an enemy of God. It is just like forgiveness. I quoted C.S. Lewis a while back. I think it was two weeks ago when I asked, how, how do we forgive? How do we do this? What C.S. Lewis says, it's by remembering where you stand. You are a forgiven sinner by the grace of God, only by his blood that's poured out for you. And what Jesus is, is telling over and over is, He's telling us these things, and, and we can't do it without his help. But prior to Christ invading our, our, our lives and making us from death to life and creating us born-again followers of Jesus, we were or are an enemy of him. But he chose to love us. He chose to forgive us. He chose to reconcile an enemy to himself through the death of his son. That was an amen moment right there. You missed it. That's good. That's what the good news is all about. So who am I? Oh, man, I want to... Wish I was sitting out there and not up here right now. Who am I to think I'm going to dictate who I forgive and who I love? I will choose how I interact with my enemies. Nothing about that proves me to be a follower of him. Nothing. That's why Jesus is saying, you don't have to know me if you want to do all that stuff. Pagans, not church, Satan worshipers can love people that are nice to them. We stand as forgiven people by the blood of Christ. As redeemed, rescued, reconciled people, 
Christians have forfeited our right to hate people. Let me say that again. Christians have forfeited, forfeited sorry, our right to hate people. It is not an option on the table. It is not a multiple choice question where it's A, B, or C, and C as well, I just want to not do it. It's not an option. Again, the same question over. Is Jesus ask, is he asking you to really do it? We are to love as we've been loved. First John 4 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Anybody who loves is a child of God and knows him. But anybody who chooses, if that's, I don't care if it's your enemy or anybody, if, if anybody who chooses not to love does not know God, for God is love. God has showed much love by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins, to make us once enemies into reconciled believers. Earlier, when Jesus said, true followers, this is how you'll know you're a true follower. Verse 45, in that way you'll be acting as true children. Not as somebody who verbalizes, this is hard to hear, but I'm, just, I'm the messenger this morning. Jesus said, there are true followers who do what I'm asking to do, and there are those who claim to know me, but they're not. Their fruit and evidence of their life doesn't show that. John says in verse chapter 4, what I just read, this, this is real love. This is what real love, anybody who says they love God, but it's not going to love people, they don't know him. So we, in our sinful rebellion, we didn't choose to love him first. God loves us. Shows grace, mercy, kindness, sacrifice. Jesus never asked us to do something he doesn't do. On the cross, enemies of God at the foot, all part of his plan. We cover this in John. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what this looks like, this act of loving our enemies, this Holy Spirit-empowered stuff, it begins to look amazing and, hear me, appealing to the world. Nobody wants anything to do with this church or any church when Christians are running around hating each other, talking about each other, not forgiving people, having people that are enemies and my people, those people, this people. That, nobody wants anything to do with it. Churches will not grow. This church will not grow. The capital C church will not grow when sons and daughters of God are saying, I'm not doing it. But when believers say, I'm going to step into this, I'm going to do it, it begins to look amazing and appealing to those that think there is nothing logical about why this person's doing it. You know story. I don't have to tell you. There, there are stories of, of children that can, that can forgive and love abusive parents. Somehow, somehow, when the Spirit of God works in them. Marriages that are devastated by neglect, abuse, or unfaithfulness. By God's power, there is res restoration and love and forgiveness. People of different political ideologies that can forgive and love and not villainize based upon the part of your platform or color. We can truly love people besides differences. Somebody mistreats us or somebody close to us. Doesn't mean we're okay with that. And there's things to navigate through that. But by His Spirit, maybe we can love them and, and uphold this prayer for them and, and, and treat them kindly. Again, if you're looking for a loophole, if you're flipping pages thinking, surely there's an out in here somewhere. It's not there. Maybe there's one of saying, well, God is God and I'm not. You ever heard that? Jesus can do what Jesus does because Jesus is God. God's God, I'm not. I'm just a sinful person, but 
Jesus doesn't let you off the hook. Look at verse 48. And we're, we're almost done. Verse 48 pretty much blows up any excuse we may have. He says this, verse 48, but you are to be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I don't know about you, but that just looks very, not even impossible. What is that even talking about? Perfect. I'm not perfect. That's why I need Jesus. I'm, I can't be perfect. It doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. What he means is talking about an original language of being complete and mature as sons and daughters. He's saying, I want you to grow up and be the people that I'm calling you to be. I'm asking you to be a child of me that looks like me and talks like me, that is an ambassador for me, that represents me, not just to quote your people as these Pharisees have been talking about, but I'm saying, I want you to love even your enemy because then the world takes notice. What is this Jesus you're talking about? These people hate you. They hate your kids. They hate your family. They do all these things. When Paul talked about that in Romans, it was like Diocletian and Nero, all these people that are putting their, they're, they're crucified, they're putting them on spits, but they're, they're literally torturing and brutally hurting people that are saying they love Jesus. And he's going to spout off stuff like forgive them and love them, respect authority. What is he talking about? You may be thinking, Pastor, you're getting a little worked up. It's just a Sunday morning. Chillax a little bit. I'll try to be hip saying chillax just for a second. I say this because with, with such urgency, I told you this whole complicated series, and nothing's more complicated than this, but God will not move in this church. He will not grow this church. He will not move in measures and means that we hope to if people like us will say, I ain't doing it. We can have cool things and cool ministries, and we can have cool lights and do all church, and we can have services. It ain't going to happen. You want to tell what happens when, when people of God, I'm not saying this is the case, but if we're not careful, when God will say, I will remove my influence and myself from that until you repent and come back. Nobody wants that. So when, whenever you're thinking, you think it's not a big deal. I hate those people and I'm going to hate them anyway and pastor can kind of get over it because I ain't doing it. I need you to understand that the Spirit of God is moving even today, but he's asking you to do these things and it's not just about you. It is not the kingdom of God on this earth establishing itself in, uh, in this place, even in Olton, Texas. And if you say no, you're a part of the problem. You're not part of a solution. And in case you're thinking, oh, pastors, pick, I have been part of the problem, not a part of the solution. I talked to somebody in the four, two weeks ago. They said, this is hard. And this, I was like, yeah, I've got to, you just have to hear it once. I've got to think about it all week. And I'm not talking down to you. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is what God's speaking and saying. There's no loopholes. He's asking his people to do this. And the standard of God is perfection. And we are perfected in Christ Jesus. And we take on his character, being holy and blameless. We're going to mess up. We're going we're to hate people. We're going to do things. We're going to fall on our face. But we don't just stew in it. We repent and break and have mo moments of just brokenness. And saying, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I messed up. And we tell people, I'm sorry. I messed up. I hated you. I don't like you. But I got to get past this, and it's not about this, and all these things, and all of a sudden, <laughs> enemies, not necessarily, we're not asking to be best buddies, but I'm just saying, but all of a sudden, what Satan would use to steal, kill, destroy, and divide, it's gone. The wedges of things to create divisiveness back in John when this whole series came about, when he says, I want you to be holy, I want you to be united, and all of these things that can tear apart a church. And as I kind of wrap, wrap this thing up, I'm not asking anybody in this room, please hear this, because I know what happens. I've been in the seats where people talk about stuff like this. Right now, you're probably thinking, Pastor, you don't know. 
like forgiveness. We talk, I, you're, you don't know. I was wrong. I'm not negating that. Nobody's saying you haven't been wrong. Nobody's saying that somebody wasn't mean, ugly, vindictive, hateful. By all the things that you might have truly been a victim of somebody's mistreating you. Nobody's diminishing that. But what Jesus is saying, here's how I'm asking you to respond in that. I shouldn't wear a sweater this morning. He seems to have a mission. I'm going to give us two things. We're going to pray and we're done. He seems to have a mission and a purpose for his people that seem to be bigger than just relational struggles. There's something bigger he's doing here. It's bigger than just Sunday morning church. It's bigger than Wednesday ministries. It's bigger than this or that. Or There is a kingdom of God. There is a massive thing taking place here. And he wants his people that bear his name to love and pray to purposely seek the good of those, not our people, but even to those people. Two things on the screen. Number one, I'm going to ask you this morning. We're going to do it this morning. The invitation is going to be totally different. Number one, what Jesus is saying, I want you to pray for people. Number two, he's saying, I want you to do good to them. Acts of the will, purposely seek their good. Now, here's what's going to happen. I hope I, hope I hadn't lost anybody yet, but here's what's going to happen. We're not going to stand and sing. And I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Now, this is the part where I need you to stay with me, please. Young, it doesn't matter, children, all of us, we're all in this. I'm not asking for hands, right? I'm not going to do that. You're literally just going to pray, and then we're going to be done. A.W. Tozer says this, We cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think we're worshiping God. We cannot pray in love and live in hate and think we're worshiping God. What that means is, what we're doing in here, can't hate people and come in here thinking it's doing any good. There's a reason why we have hate in our heart where you don't want to read your Bible and do these things or all these things because you can't do it. It doesn't work. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to give you literally, it's going to seem like probably forever, but I'm going to give you like two minutes. And I'm going to ask you to do two things. Pray for people. I want you to lift up the specific name of people in your life that you would declare as enemies. People that maybe have wronged you. People that you don't even like. Now, there's a mirror to our soul. This is not just to blame them or whatever, but I'm asking you to respond to them and lift them up. I'm not asking you to say on a Sunday morning, God, would you curse them, strike them down, and do what you do best? No, no, no. I want you to lift them up. Be honest with your heart. God, I, don't, I have a hard time with them. I feel wrong by them. If there's stuff going on in them, would you show it to them? Would you? If you're so bold to ask for reconciliation, God, I may, we may not be best friends, but God, show me how to live and to do good for them. And that's the second one. I want you to ask God to reveal to you, how can I do good purposely and intently? Because we're going to say amen. We're going to leave this place. We're going to go back to life. Playing the game if we need to. But if you are really intentional about this, just lift them up. and Ask God to show you, God, how can I do good to them? How can I purposely seek their good? And watch your heart change. 
I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Pianists are going to play. This is all we're doing for the invitation. So, If you need prayer, I'll be up here. But I just want you to pray. Ask God to show you. Pray for your enemies. How can you show them good? If you need prayer, I'll be here.